Welcome to the Women of TBC podcast. You'll hear content from women's Bible studies and other women's events. For more information, visit templebiblechurch.org. I'm going to pray for Karen as we get started this morning. Pray with me. God, we just thank you so much for your faithfulness to us, your goodness that you've revealed to us through your word as we've studied Joshua. Thank you. Thank you for making yourself known, for being knowable by us. And God, we just want to praise your name. And we we pray that same thing for the women who will be gathering this weekend. Pray, God, that, that they would come to know you, that you would make yourself known to them in personal ways, that you would draw them to yourself. And God, we just pray that you would use the team there, especially Kathy, who's part of our our group. Kathy McQueen, would you use her mightily um, as she serves there this weekend? God, I want to just pray that you would be with Karen as she teaches us today from this difficult um, text of Scripture. God, would you um, would you just reveal something new to us? Would you give us um, give us ears to hear what you have to say to us, and give Karen the courage to speak what you put on her heart? We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Amy. Okay, so we are, am I, okay, okay. So we're at a place, we're about halfway through the book of Joshua. That first whole part of Joshua, as you know, is a lot about conquest, and kind of now we're at the place of the division of the land. So if you're like me, you may have gotten to this point and been like, oh, this is a little bit boring. This is a a long section of chapters over and over, and it feels a little bit like reading genealogy, um, just kind of trudging through that. But one thing I want you to remember is that gifts are valuable to us because of the giver that gives them to us. If my nine-year-old draws me a stick figure picture of me and her together, it's valuable to me because of who gave it to me. Um, And so I want you to remember that this morning as we dig in a little deeper. And it really is a lot like the genealogy that we see throughout the Old Testament. Sometimes when we get to those sections, we just, you know, kind of our eyes glaze over and we blur it all together and forget that there's a rich history there. And we can see that, though, when we open up that very first page of the New Testament And we see kind of this aha moment where God pulls all of that genealogy together and shows you the meaning of it in the lineage of Christ. And so these chapters weren't boring to them. It was something that was years and years of waiting and wandering in the desert, waiting for God's fulfillment. And we finally get to that. It was a little bit like Christmas morning for them of God saying, here, here's the inheritance that I have set aside for you. And so as we dig in, um, one thing I want you to ask is what, um, what was that geography like for them? You know, that's a great thing to kind of study. I can't dig into all that this morning, but was the land fertile? Was it dry? Was it near the ocean? Was it not? Who, what other inhabitants were in that land? Did anything happen here in this land before this point or after in the Bible that you can think of or find by looking up? Um, So my family, we just got back from a trip to New England last week. It was amazing, except for the part of skipping school and having to keep up with all of that um, later. But we, we had a great time. We have a family goal of seeing all 50 states before my oldest graduates. She's 13. Got a little bit of time, but I forget what number we're at now, like 26, I think. 
But so this was our New England trip. So in seven days, we saw all six states of New England. It was fast and furious. And I like to differentiate between it was not a trip, uh, not a vacation. It was a trip. (laughs) There was no relaxing there. But it was really cool to see some areas that I had never seen and such a rich history. And so as I've studied, um, I part homeschool, my kids go to Providence, and so we've studied a lot of history things, and it was so neat to show them this is the old North Church that, you know, where he rang the, or did the lanterns, and this was Paul Revere's house, and showing these them these tangible things from our history that they could actually see. And so there, I want you to think through that um, as we go through this this morning There's some very tangible places that for them were very, very meaningful that can get lost on us um, in our culture where we're at. So at first glance, when we see this allotment, it might seem like these 12 tribes just come in and they take what land they want um, and they make it their own, but it's really, really important for us to remember God's promise to Abraham in Genesis. Remember, he tells them, you're going to have many offspring, and I want you to walk the length and the breadth of this land. And so Abraham did, and he moved his tent and settled at the Oaks of Mamre, which is Hebron, and built an altar. And Hebron was in uh, Judah's allotment. So I'm going to flip back and forth between this map. There's also, today would be a really great day to open up that binder that you've been given, and there's some maps in there. We're going to be looking at them a lot, so you may want to go ahead and pull that out. Um, so in Joshua 21:45, it says, "Not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All of them came to pass." And so we see a lot of that coming to fulfillment in today's uh, chunk of scripture. And so remember, um, we, if we look at kind of the scene, we've got our main characters. Caleb was 40 when Moses sent him to go spy the land. And he was 85 when the wars of conquest were over right now when he's about to get his inheritance. That is 45 years, 38 of which were in the desert. And so that leaves about seven years for the wars of conquest that we've last seen. And that's kind of a long time. I mean, it feels quick when you're flipping through the chapters, but seven years of kind of this fighting and now they're getting to this point. And so... Joshua and Caleb are getting older at this point. They've taken over a lot of it, but there's still sections that they have to overcome um, and subdue the Canaanites that were there. And we see that in Joshua 13.1, it says, there are still very large areas of land to be taken over. But it's really important to remember, they did not fully obey God's command. They did not take over all the land that God commanded them to. And um, the reason that's important is there's a lot of foreshadowing in Joshua that sets up the book of Judges. If you just read Judges by itself, it seems really, really awful, and God seems a little harsh. (laughs) Um, You've got to read Joshua in order to understand uh, Judges. So in this section, there's kind of two stages of dividing the land. And so um, there's two and a half tribes that settle east of the Jordan, Reuben, Gad, and the half tribe of Manasseh. And so remember, they requested this land when they got to the Jordan. Moses says, sure, you can stay here in this land, but you have to go and help your brothers fight for their land. You can't just stay here and let them do it on their own. And so they do. Um, And remember, also, it mentions in this chapter that the Levites do not get an inheritance of their own. Remember, their inheritance um, is from the Lord. They receive uh, food, literally, from the offerings that people give to the Lord. And it says the Lord himself was their inheritance. 
And so it starts here with Reuben. Um, and as it's going through kind of the land that Reuben gets, um, I think I'm going to let, I'm going to click off that and let you focus on your map on your table. But it's interesting here, I think that Balaam is mentioned. And so if you remember in Numbers 22, he's mentioned um, there, I'm not going to go through all of these reference scriptures if you want to jot them down next to it, but Numbers 22 is a lot of his story. And also if you, again, think, is this mentioned anywhere else in scripture? It is. Second Peter 2.15 mentions him, Jude 11, and Revelation 2.14. They all credit him with the doctrine of Balaam, which is introducing others to sin, specifically idolatry and sexual immorality. Um, he was a really sneaky guy that mixed a lot of truth with a lot of lies, sought his own financial gain in the process, but a really pretty wicked person. And so we read in Joshua 13, 22, it says, Balaam also, the son of Beor, the one who practiced divination, was killed with a sword by the people of Israel among the rest of their slain. And so I love the grace of God that you can see here. Um, it's, some of these stories are really hard to swallow. There is a lot of killing. Um, but when we dig deeper and you see in these other scriptures the life of Balaam and what he really stood for, I love kind of the picture here that you get that God is kind of saying, enough, like you are done influencing my people. We will not do this anymore. That is enough. And so I, I do think that there is a lot of God's grace in kind of protecting them from being influenced by him anymore. Um, and so in that, we can also remember in Numbers 33, after that Balaam deal, God tells Moses in verse 51, when you pass over the Jordan into that land of Canaan, you shall drive out all the inhabitants of the land from before you, destroy all of their figured stones, destroy their metal images, demolish their high places, and you shall take possession of the land and settle it, for I have given you the land to possess it. He goes on in 55 to say, if you do not drive out the inhabitants of the land before you, then those of whom the you... Let remain shall be barbs in your eyes and thorns in your sides. They shall trouble you in the land where you dwell, and I will do to you as I thought to do to them. Those are pretty harsh words, but remember, they had that. That was the word of God that they had. Moses had written that Torah. That was something that they very well knew going into this promised land. And so we're seeing this play out. Those um, that they do not drive out, which is a lot of them, they remain as barbs in their eyes, thorns in their sides. And if you see again that big picture for the Old Testament, you can also see the character of God is very patient um, in this matter, that it seems, again, harsh at first glance. There's a lot of killing going on. But if you see that big picture and you kind of step back, you can see that there's a lot of grace on God's part and a lot of patience with them. And so, um, one thing that we need to remember this morning, Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh, they received part of the promise, but Jesus fulfills the rest. They fail to fully obey God, and just like us, it takes Jesus to complete that promise that God gave them. That is something, um, if you want to write that down, I'm going to repeat that a lot this morning because it goes with every single tribe that we're looking at. Um, so chapter 14, Caleb here gets his inheritance. Now we know that he's a foreigner, and I kind of love that about Caleb. He's a lot like Rahab. Um, God still sees him fit to be a leader, which is beautiful. And it says in 1414 that Hebron became the inheritance of Caleb 
because he wholly followed the Lord. Um, and remember, I, I love that he gets Hebron. So remember, that was the place that he went and spied out the land. He gets there and they're all like, oh my gosh, they're giants. And he's like, we can take him. Like the Lord is with us. And I love that, that that exact place where he went and saw that was the inheritance that he gets. And I, um, I kind of picture him as, you know, this guy that's just like, let me at him, let me at him. I can take him, I can take him. And God's finally, he makes him wait, but he's finally like, okay, go. Like it's all yours. Um, and it ends, that section ends with, and the land had rest from war. Um, and that's really unique to Caleb uh, in this situation of the allotment of the land. And I believe it's because Caleb wholly followed the Lord. He did all that God asked for him to do. Um, and he received a really special place. Hebron, a lot of history happened there. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are all buried there as well as all of the matriarchs. David lives there for seven and a half years. He's anointed there. Um, remember that was where Abram moved his tent uh, right after the Lord's promise. And later, we're going to see it also becomes a city of refuge. And so there's a lot of sweet history that happens there. And I really love that it goes to Caleb. And so all the tribes um, that we have left, oh, that is not what I wanted. Go, there we go. All the tribes that we have left go west of the Jordan, and they are given land by Lot. And so remember back in Genesis, um, so you've got to remember the family history that's going on too to understand some of the inheritance that happens. So Reuben, remember, he sleeps with his father's concubine. Simon and Levi massacre all the Shechemites because of what uh, the prince did to their sister. Jacob calls them a stench in the land. And the full blessing of them, it skips them. Um, and most of that goes to Judah. Some of it goes to Joseph because he gets two blessings for his sons. Um, but a lot of that goes to Judah, specifically the ruling blessing of the firstborn. Um, and we will see that play out in the genealogy and how that Christ is from the lineage of Judah. But I think there's something worth mentioning here um, in this section. So we see Caleb defeating the locals. And in verse uh, 13, this is chapter 15, we see Caleb defeating and he basically says, whoever um, strikes the sky, captures him, I'll give my daughter as a wife. And so Athenial does. And uh, so it's interesting too, to note that Othaniel is Caleb's younger brother. Um, and he's also, later we're gonna see in Judges, that Othaniel, at that point, the section of the land, the Mesopotamian king has come over. He's ruling for like eight years over God's people. And Othaniel becomes the first judge to rise up and is like, oh no, we're not doing this. Like we're gonna do what the Lord. And I really think if you even see the picture of judges, there's kind of a spirit of the Lord that falls on Othaniel. He does well in the eyes of the Lord defeating that. There's rest for that land for 40 more years. But each judge kind of honestly goes a little bit downhill from there. Um, but Othaniel, it's the same guy here um, that we're talking about. And so Othaniel defeats this guy. Caleb gives him his daughter. She marries him. And she's like, hey, dad, give me a blessing. Give me springs of water. And he does. And in fact, he gives her two. And it's important here to remember, too, that water is really, really important. Um, if you got a section of land that didn't have water, it was kind of useless. And so for them to get water was very, very um, life-giving. And so 
water being so important. They had water and they would store it if it rained or whatever, they would store it in these cisterns. But if you had a spring or a river, that was called living water. And that's really important too, especially when you think about the New Testament and in John 4, Jesus talking about being the living water and why that is so important and so life-giving to them. And so I love that, just kind of that little bitty glimpse of Jesus that we can see here in him being a good father and giving his daughter more than she asked for um, and giving her living water. And so that being said, this chapter ends in verse 63. Um, it says, but the Jebusites, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the people of Judah could not drive out. So the Jebusites dwell with the people of Judah at Jerusalem to this day. Remember Moses warned against this. We saw Caleb wholly follow the Lord and receive his inheritance with the others. Don't drive them out and they're going to get some massive consequences for that. So remember, they received part of the promise, but Jesus fulfills the rest. They fail to obey him just like us, and it takes Jesus to complete the promise that God gave. So next we see um, Ephraim and Manasseh and the sons of Joseph. And so again, they don't dry the Canaanites out. Instead, this time they force them into working for them, um, which was not what God commanded. But it's interesting to me that they compromise their godly intentions for an elevated lifestyle. <laughs> um, it's quite maybe savvy at first, but also uh, not what God wanted for them to do because there's consequences of that that um, they're willing to compromise to make their lifestyle better. So um, allotments are made for the sons of Manasseh. And so, man, I'm going to butcher this name. I think it's Zelophehad had five daughters, but no sons. And so remember, usually all the land went to the sons. I really love these brave women. Um, their dad died. And so remember back in, this is in Numbers 27, they go to Moses and they're asking for their father's inheritance. Like it, it doesn't seem really fair, right? That he had no son and that their land's just gonna go to whoever. And God, uh, Moses seeks God and God actually tells Moses that this is right to let them have their father's inheritance. And so remember, Moses wrote down those first five books of the Bible. That was the scripture that they had. They had that with them. They would have known that. They would have had large portions of that memorized. And so essentially, they're going to Joshua and saying, hey, concerning our inheritance, please seek the word that you have. I want you to go back and read it and see what God said. Um, so it pays to know the word, ladies. <laughs> um, but remember, they received part of the promise but Jesus fulfills the rest. All of them fail to fully obey. Just like us, it takes Jesus to complete the promise. Now, so remember in Joshua 4, I'm kind of going a little bit all over the place this morning, but remember when they came out of the Jordan River, they set up those 12 stones of remembrance. That was in Gilgal, um, which is in the middle of your map. There we go. Um, so it's in the middle of your map there. And so at that point, when they set up those 12 stones of remembrance there at Gilgal, in chapter 18 is when they had been at Gilgal, but now they're moving that camp to Shiloh. And so it's here that the remaining tribes are given their territory through the casting of lots. And so 
Benjamin is our next one. So this, it's a small tribe. He doesn't get a huge lot of land. A lot of the land was kind of dependent on how big the tribe was. Um, but what it did include was Jericho. So Jericho's in Benjamin's territory, Ai, Bethel, Gibeon, and several others. And so an important thing here to notice with Benjamin is that it's really close to the tribe of Judah. The reason this is important is fast forward through Israel's history. They're going to continue to disobey God, continue to um, be influenced by all these other gods around them. And eventually that kingdom is going to split into a northern and a southern kingdom. Um, That southern kingdom, Benjamin, stays with Judah. um, And they actually hold out for a little bit longer, following God a little bit longer than that northern kingdom. Um, But it's interesting and important to remember that they're close together uh, on physically on the map. So Simon, Simon gets his allotment. Remember he and Levi, they slaughtered this group of people in the name of their sister. Um, And so in that, Jacob basically thinks he's an embarrassment, thinks that they're a stench to him in the land because remember God told Abraham, you're going to be a blessing to other nations. And I'm sure Jacob was sort of thinking, I don't think this is what God had in mind. This isn't exactly a blessing to the other nations around us. Um, And he's also afraid that they're going to seek retaliation and come against him. That's probably more on his mind than anything. Um, But there's, so there's a lot there in that backstory that we do not have time to go in today. But the reason I want to talk about it is Genesis 49. So Jacob's on his deathbed. He's giving his blessings to his sons right before he dies. And this is what he says to Simon and Levi. Simon and Levi, this is uh, Genesis 49.5. Simon and Levi, brothers of weapons of violence are their swords. Let my soul not come into their counsel. O my glory be not joined to their company, for in their anger they killed men, and in their willfulness they hamstrung oxen. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce and their wrath is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob, and I will scatter them in Israel." So if you look at our map here, Simon, he actually doesn't really get his own territory. Um, It's kind of here in the section of Judah there. That is because of the blessing or curse, really, is kind of what it feels like, that Jacob gave um, on his deathbed. And then remember, Levi as well is scattered among the nations. I do think he gets a privilege of being the priest, tribe, but they are scattered in 48 different cities all over the whole of Israel. And so, um, considering Jacob's words over them, uh, and that what feels a little bit like a curse, I think it shows a lot of grace on God's part to still give um, Simon part of that land, even though it's within Judah, and really a lot on Levi and the privilege that it was for them to be the priests for the whole nation of Israel, despite, um, honestly, their sin with slaughtering that nation. So remember, they they all received part of the promise, but Jesus fulfills the rest. They fail to fully obey God just like us, and it takes Jesus to complete the promise. So we have four smaller tribes left. We have Zebulun, So Zebulun is where Nazareth is. Um, And so obviously we know, you know, thinking about Jesus. And so what I really, really love though is I'm gonna read a section from Isaiah 9.1. Portion of this will be very familiar to you, but I'm gonna start in verse one. 
It says, but there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, the Galilee of nations. For the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. You have multiplied the nation, you've increased its joy, and they rejoice before you as with joy in the harvest, and they were glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his brother, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as in the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in the battle tumult and every garment that is rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For unto us a child is born. And to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness, from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. I love, love, love being able to see that and just what the prophet spoke and we can see all this history and that they messed up big and they did not do all that God promised them. And really, especially these four northern tribes, things do not go well for them and they really disobey in some big ways. But the grace of God um, to, to be that over them and we see that light breaking through and what Jesus did for that um, group and the, the nation of Israel as a whole. So remember, they received part of the promise, but Jesus fills the rest. They fail too to obey just like us, and it takes Jesus to complete the promise. So Isaacar is another really small piece of land. It's probably next to Zebulun because they were brothers through Leah. So if you remember that history, they're probably pretty close um, just in relationship to each other, and so that's probably why they're up there together in the northern uh, Something to jot down and look up later is in the land of Isaacar uh, is Mount Tabor. And so fast forward, we're going to get there in a few weeks, but Judges 4, a lot is going to happen there in their land. Asher, so Asher is on the coast. It's really fertile land, but it was also kind of merged with the Phoenician Empire. And so Asher, Naphtali, and Dan, all in that northern side, they basically had these highways running through them that all these um, other areas were, it was super easy for them to come and infiltrate uh, and bring war against God's people. And so not maybe the safest (laughs) of areas for them. And again, we're going to see that uh, bringing some pretty massive downfall in the future. Naphtali next to Asher, um, so it's not there yet, but there is going to be the towns of Capernaum, Cana, Bethsidia, um, and remember again the prophecy that Isaiah said concerning Naphtali and what, what Jesus does for that area. So Dan, Dan is the last of the tribe to receive land. Um, he is steeped deep in Philistine territory, and they had such a hard time taking over this land that they end up going to this little city of Leshem. So jot down in your notes, Judges 18. Um, a lot is going to happen there in that portion in Judges 18. But basically, they build a pagan shrine there. Um, so remember, they've waited all this time, they finally get God's inheritance, and they build a pagan shrine. Um, That gets expanded many years later by a king, Jeroboam, 
and their king, Jeroboam, and eventually it causes the extinction of the whole northern 10 tribes of Israel uh, in 723 BC. And all of that happens, um, that first pagan shrine is right there. So remember, they receive part of the promise, but Jesus fulfills the rest. They fail to fully obey, and just like us, it takes Jesus to complete the promise. So we get to the end, and finally Joshua, he gets his own inheritance. Um, So remember, he's in the tribe of Ephraim. And so I I have a lot of empathy for the leadership of Joshua, um, just seeing how how hard he tried to get them to follow the Lord and how devastating that must have been for him to try really, really hard and lead really well and constantly see them um, kind of honestly leading them through the desert and getting them to a place where it's like, okay, the land is yours. Like, take it and do all that God asks us to. And they just fall flat on their face. Um, and honestly, how hard that would have been for him to just watch this play out. Um, but he gives them that ownership, tells them to subdue it. They don't really, I mean, some of them kind of, some of them less than others. Um, but if you fast forward to the book of Judges, in the very beginning of Judges, it straight up names them. It says Manasseh, Ephraim, Zebulun, Asher, and Naphtali, and Dan all failed to drive out the inhabitants of the land. So remember, there's so much back in the Pentateuch before that God's telling them to drive out the inhabitants. And in Deuteronomy 4, Moses tells them, remember the statutes and rules I'm teaching you that you may go in and take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you. He says in verse six, observe them carefully for this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations who will hear about all of these decrees and say, What other nation is so great as to have their God near them the way God is near us when we pray to him? And what other nation is so great to have righteous decrees and laws as this body of laws that I'm setting before you today? His desire that he even said through Moses was to be known among the nations. He wanted these other nations to see Israel living differently and living in such a way that they said, who is your God and why is he so different and why are your people so different? I want some of that. I'm just like Rahab. And so today we've been commissioned to go into all the world, right? Um, you sometimes have to fight for that inheritance. Sometimes it's not always easy for us. Sometimes we have to come alongside our brothers uh, and sisters and fight with them for their inheritance to help them see what Jesus uh, has given them and what is rightfully theirs in Christ. So when I think about kind of the section of the Bible, um, I think a lot, honestly, about Rahab and what what this looked like for her being grafted in, um, because most of us in this room are probably not of Jewish heritage, and so we are all a bit like her, being grafted into God's family, and yet she still received part of that inheritance. Um, for me in my life, I part of my testimony is I lost, uh, my parents passed away when I was in high school, and I was adopted when I was 16, And I was adopted into this family. And to be really honest, when I was adopted in there, I was not thinking anything about an inheritance. I just wanted a mom and a dad um, to love me and a family. And I got that, but I also got a lot more. And I received an inheritance that was far greater than anything I could imagine at 16, both physically and spiritually, the inheritance that I received through this godly couple that, that loved me well. 
And so in that, God is also um, giving you an inheritance. As Gentiles, we are grafted into that. And I do believe that that's inheritance that's far more than what we realize and what we could ever even ask for. So if you were with us this last Sunday, um, the sermon was about missions and he touched on this a little bit. And so Joshua, remember, this whole section is the fulfillment of God's promise back to Abraham. In chapter, in Genesis 12, 15 and 17, we see God's promise to Abraham there. This whole section is kind of the fulfillment of that. And um, remember, if you were with us that first week at the very beginning of Joshua, we, we talked about the chiasmus in Greek and how when God says, you know, be strong and courageous, I am with you, and I want you to meditate on that law, and I am with you, and be strong and courageous. And now maybe you can see why it's so important that they meditate on that law day and night, and why that really is important to the outcome of their future and why it's the same for us, why it's really important for us to know God's word, to meditate on it day and night. Um, But also we talked about that chiasmus and how it echoes the one in the great commission of God sending us out into the world. Um, So if we see this big picture of God's story, we can remember, um, we kind of take a step back again. I'm such a big picture person, but if you take a step back and you remember they're all in Egypt, they're in slavery, God pulls them out of slavery, they're wandering in the desert for 40 years, dying to themselves again and again in that desert, um, and symbolically dying to themselves when they cross over that Jordan River, I believe that is a picture of baptism that would come, and by that death to themselves, new life in Christ, and then they receive this promised land that God gave them. And so Jesus fulfills this for us in John 1. We see him baptized in that very same river. The Jordan River is the same place where Jesus gets baptized. And instead, when Jesus got baptized, instead of those waters being parted like it was for them, that veil between us and heaven was parted when he died on the cross, giving us a way to enter his promised land, both a piece of that that we can claim here, but also eternally in heaven. And so if you're like me, it is a constant battle though to not behave like the Israelites. I much prefer the comforts of slavery, that gypsy life, honestly, the manna and the springs of water that I complain about and long for. And then when I get them, I just complain some more that, oh, this is so boring and don't you want to give me anything else? Um, And he stands there with those waters parted saying, hey, Karen, I'm here to give you milk and honey and this land that I have carved out and I have bought for you with my sacrificial blood. But instead of remembering what he's done for me and all of these things that he's promised me, I just stand there shaking my fists and all I see is giants and saying, did you bring me here to kill me? It's better that I'd be back in slavery and in chains than here where you brought me. And he so gently comes alongside me, puts his arm around me, reminds me that it's not my battle to fight, but it's his. And that all I have to do is just put one foot instead in front of the other and trust in him. Trust that he is going to fight that battle. Trust in his inheritance that he's given me to claim that when I can, but also trusting that that battle is truly his. And so today he's calling us. He's calling us to rid ourselves of these idols that the culture around us tells us is more important than God. He's calling you to live a different life 
um, we are still, I believe, in an occupied promised land, kind of like they were. We have not fully subdued it like he has asked us to, and that makes our lives difficult, honestly. And so, but in that, he's calling you to go out, to go into the nations, to go and tell these other nations about him, about what he's done by living your life differently, and by literally telling them through that, and by living a life that makes him contagious to others, whether that is Temple, whether that is Belton, whether that is the Middle East or to the ends of the world, he is calling you to live differently so that the nations around you will say, what is it that is in her that is different? I want what she has, and she has a God that I have never seen before, and I want some of that. And so remember, in order to complete that promise that he's given us and to fully walk in that, we have to have Jesus um, in us to be able to do that and the grace that he gives us. Let's pray. Jesus, we are so grateful for what you have accomplished on the cross for us and what you have given us that you fulfill every promise that God has ever given his people, that they are fulfilled in you and that those promises are for us, that your promises for us are a yes in you. So God, I pray that you would give us the courage, give us the honestly love for you to walk in that today, to walk in that the rest of our lives and be a light to the nations around us that they would see us in such a way that says, I want to know the God that she knows. She loves him so well and I wanna know a God like that. So I pray that you would shine through us um, in our daily lives. Pray that you would make us a light to the nations. In Jesus' name, amen.